Hi, this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Coming up, Subversity with Dan Zhang. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. This is Dan Zhang with Subversity. We're at a new time. Uh, we used to be at 9 o'clock in the morning today, and now we are at 5 o'clock from now on, hopefully. Uh, a much more reasonable time, I think. Uh, drive time. But um, hopefully uh, people will still listen to it, uh, to this. Uh, today we're going to bring you some highlights of the Irvine 11 uh, speak out at uh, the UCI Student Center May 2nd, uh, March 2nd, sorry, March 2nd. Uh, followed by uh, Angela Davis on campus, uh, also talking about the Irvine 11, but also talking about um, the prison industrial complex and its relationship to higher education and other education. And so we're going to bring you both clips um, because they bring you a different perspective from what we've done before. We've covered the Irvine 11 case which was the protest over the Israeli ambassador's talk here. And we've had a couple of people on arguing that this was a heckler's veto of the First Amendment. And today we're going to hear a different perspective. So let's go to the audio of that. The opinions expressed of, on this show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. And starting off is Ryan Davis, who's emceeing this event. Ambassador Oren's event, the 17 students and workers that were arrested at the sit-in here on our campus. And so uh, we really just want to bring attention to all these things. Um, I hope that all of you guys know about the, uh, the brave 11 uh, students that were arrested at Ambassador Oren's event. Ambassador Oren is the ambassador to Israel. A little fun, fun fact about Israel is that um, this country has violated more UN resolutions than any than all the countries combined in the world. That is what we protest. That's what the 11 students protested, and that's what we're standing here in solidarity with them today. We're also standing here as a protest against the Compton cookouts and the nooses found at UCSD. This is a uh, racist, anti-black smut that's been coming up in our, in our UC campuses, and so we're standing up against that today, right now. And we also want to protest uh, our own UC President Yudoff, his uh, letter that he sent out, which equates the Irvine 11 and the UCSD events as being one and the same, and that's just ridiculous, right? So basically, this is a rally of solidarity. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring up the first speaker right now. Uh, is Abraham out here? Oh, Abraham's here. He's going to come and do some spoken word. And um, hopefully I can get it together and I can MC a little bit brighter. Good morning, everybody. Thanks everybody for coming out here and um, as a brother mentioned, I think there's a lot of issues on the campus, people trying to fight for the public education system and also against the privatization of the education system. And one of the things, one of the issues that 
correlates with all the things happening in the UC system. It's also the plight of AB540 students or people that are documented that come every, every year. And again, uh, many people think that they come and take resources away, but nobody ever wonders what even causes this migration. People don't leave the country, their homes, because they want to. Some people are forced, and that is ignored, and then they come here, and they say they take our resources, they take what we, you know, what US, U.S. citizens want and need. When we over here, we maintain the agriculture sector, we stabilize it by maintaining the cheap produce prices and being paid as cheap labor in the fields. And a lot of times statistics go around and go and it becomes a political debate when we're labeled AB540 students as if we weren't even human beings, as if the, language, the English language rejected our existence because our identity comes out of two letters and three numbers. So I wanted to personalize the issue and relate it back to a, a, the civil rights movement because this is what it is, people fighting for their civil rights, basic rights. And I wrote this piece called The Letter to the President, I Still Have a Dream. This is a letter to the President, this is a letter to the King, Malcolm Obama, I still have a dream. This is a letter to the President, this is a letter to the King, Malcolm Obama, I still have a dream. I can ever make you feel, not tell you our grievances, and close the gap the distances, that see the power for where the people live. I still have a dream, the dream of a pregnant woman walking north to the desert, that same dream of a southern slave with snap shackles guided by the crescent, the dream of being free and a better life, that dream of Ending a painful strife in my dream of struggle as the moon of the sun stare Twice pursuing the American dream, twice running from America's nightmare Mr. President, I still have a dream, all I want is to live in peace But as a child I grew up being told that people like me were either criminals or thieves So I understand when there are people who are terrified to call police When many get cheated by crooked lawyers, feeling powerless because we're also taking advantage of by twisted employers The country that wants me grow wants to get rid of me, we stabilize the sector agriculture, but they paint us as an enemy, Mr. President, I see my mom's tears slow, all she wants in life is for me to do well, but it was hard in high school being AB540, I see my dreams fall and crumble, but like Twin Tower survivors, I pushed my way out of the rubble, it was harder for the trouble, feeling depressed, because God knows that I gave it my best, my mother never raised a quitter, but all this American dream rhetoric to me was nothing but glitter, I remember elementary school, my teacher telling me that I couldn't be president, I was only a child, I didn't understand, when she said that I wasn't a resident I came home and cried and asked Mama, why is it that things are this way? Some of us joined the army We are planning to stay It's been 15 years I just haven't got to my case Sometimes I want to give up Feeling like I'm lost in a legal maze That's when I close my eyes And I see my mother's face because she risked her life for me to see some better days I'm just asking for my basic human rights to freedom and education The right to live in peace and contribute to this nation Because working parents are being taken rent Sponsored by us and the children are the ones paying the ultimate price Mr. President, how can we grow old when ashes turning hearts cold Hearts cold like when some of us are graduating from places like Harvard But can't practice our profession for being undocumented The pain is like having part of your heart amputated We work for this, we're not asking for a free favor. We are students 
father. I have a dream of one day being a good father, but can't help but feel useless, feeling that the future for me is fruitless, living with this crisis, driving with a license, pairing up the the sirens with this type of life we live. I can raise a wife, a kid, mental president. I'm a human being, not an alien or illegal. I want to be free to fly like a real eagle. I deserve the scholarship. I'm valedictorian. I want to be a teacher or probably a better historian so I can ride down and tell all the boring stories of so many wooden crosses, symbolic of corpses that once had a dream. But the dreams end right there. I'm sick of living in this nightmare because I live in fear. I shed a tear for those who came with the dream of children and buried both here for those who bear the pain of having to work here for those listening to the children grow back home to the promises that I whisper on the phone and I hurt to the ear for those that live promising to be back in a year for those at immigration detention centers fighting the case winning indefinitely sometimes I feel the place is waiting for me see my best friend and there makes me face the possibility it's hard to keep my dream alive but it is my responsibility to my mother's efforts and sacrifices and to all those who pursue the dream but I'm not lifeless this ain't the cast of all nine this is the cast of the I will and the relentless just to finish my sentence this goes out to those who didn't make it because obstacles were thrown at us as if the system was the machine gun loaded with them and these obstacles pierce right through our spirit I hope those in power will hear it because Mr. President when I think of Dr. King I picture and write you a letter saying I still have a dream because Mr. President when I think of Dr. King I picture and write you a letter saying I still have a dream Abraham Medina. Alright, let's give it up for Abraham one more time. Alright, who's university? Who's university? Who's university? Who's university? Alright, let's continue with this, this rally of solidarity. I'm gonna bring up Russell, who is alumni of UCI. He's gonna come up and speak to you guys for a minute, so come on up, Russell. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for coming out. Uh, my name is Russell Curry. Like Ryan said, I'm alumni of the University of California, Irvine. I graduated in 2009 with a degree in biological sciences, but that doesn't matter right now. Um, I'm here in solidarity with the 11 students who protested and were arrested on this campus. And um, I was a member of the Viva Palestina USA convoy to Gaza uh, last July. And I can say firsthand that I've seen a lot of the atrocities that happened there with my own two eyes. And those are the, those are the reasons that Michael Oren was being protested. So what I wanted to talk about today was uh, basically this bias in the media and these, these ideas that are being spread around that, that, the, that the Irvine 11 are equivalent to, to these racists and, and basically intolerant individuals that have been uh, causing trouble and, and doing all sorts of terrible things at, across the UC campuses. So if you Google the San Francisco Chronicle, the LA Times, or CBS online, uh, there's stories about the, the governor, Schwarzenegger, saying that uh, he's, he's upset with all the, quote, racism, acts of racism and intolerance that have happened over the past uh, couple of weeks on the different UC campuses. <clears throat> Among the different things that were, that were mentioned in this article, are the racist Compton cookout at UCSD, 
I hope I don't have to explain to everybody here why that's a racist, why that was a racist act. The planning of, the planning of something that's a, of essentially modern-day minstrelsy and blackface should, should not have to be explained why that's racist. Um, another thing, indeed racist, was the noose found in the library at UCSD um, and a swastika being, being scratched into the dorm room door of a Jewish girl at, at UC Davis. Uh, I've just received word you can check this out on ucregentlive.blogspot.com and or .wordpress.com as well as uh, no uh, let me check the website it's anti-racismucsd at, at wordpress.wordpress.com stopracismucsd.wordpress.com that uh, a Ku Klux Klan hood was found at the library of UCSD today so I want you all to be aware of that as well. Now, in the same article as the first three things I mentioned, in the same breath, in the same vein, as, as three things that are obviously completely racist and intolerant, and, and intolerant as, as the governor so eloquently stated, he mentions in the same vein, in the same breath, the 11 students who protested Michael Oren being on this campus. Now, I want to ask everybody, how, how on earth can a noose being hung in the library of UCSD, threatening people's lives, threatening my life as a black person, be compared to people who are standing up and protesting the presence of somebody representing a country that, that in my opinion, should be tried and will be convicted of war crimes. How is that the same thing? That is why, that is why the 11 got arrested. Everybody wants to divert attention to how how or whether or not they were exercising free speech and if they were taking away somebody else's free speech. To me, that's not the issue. Of course, in my opinion, they were exercising free speech. This was an act of civil dis disobedience. And uh, I also would like to bring up, I had the, I had the pleasure of listening to and, and meeting uh, Angela Davis yesterday, who gave a great talk about the prison industrial complex yesterday. And um, she basically, she spoke about the, the Irvine 11 as well and brought up the same, a similar point that it should not, the fact that somebody should not be allowed to be protested at a campus, especially representing another country that, as Ryan Davis so eloquently put earlier, uh, breaks more UN Human Rights Council violations than every other country combined. The fact that that shouldn't be okay when President Bush went to every single country that President Bush went to when he was in office, he, he got protested. So why shouldn't Michael Oren be protested when he comes here? So I just want to, I really just wanted to bring these things up, bring the, bring the fact up that, you know, things are just being completely biased in the media. And I think that these, these things, the way that this has been reported is absolutely disgusting to me. It feeds into fear, it feeds into Islamophobia and uh, trying, to connect, trying to connect things like standing up and interrupting Michael Oren to anti-Semitism is completely incorrect. And um, I'd, just like to add that, I'd just like to add that I'd also like to not be interrupted, but I'd like to add that um, racial, slurs were part, racial slurs were part of the UCSD incident as well as the UC Davis incident. And um, racial slurs were involved with the Irvine 11 incident. But the Irvine 11 who protested Michael Oren did not get up, stand up, and interrupt him and, and throw racial slurs at him. That is a, they were in no way anti-Semitic. They were, they were criticizing the state of Israel. However, however, 
there were racial slurs thrown back at the Irvine 11 after they were after they got up and protested Michael Oren. That is those are the acts that should be condemned. Being told that people being told that people would be a better I'm paraphrasing, but people would make the world better by becoming suicide bombers and becoming martyrs is not okay. I don't stand for that. That is racial intolerance. That is religious intolerance. So I'd just like to close. Um, I, I wanted to bring those things to your attention and, and please be, please inform everybody to think critically about the way this is being covered and the way this is being talked about. And um, I'm, I'm a representative of the Council for Democ Democratizing Education. The, if you don't know, there were 17 students arrested in, in the administration building for sitting in on Chancellor Drake's floor. And uh, one of, they were arrested in solidarity with the Irvine 11, in case, those, in case folks don't know. All 12. Um, all 12 of the demands of the Council for Democratizing Education can be found at democratizeeducation.wordpress.com. That's two E's, democratizeeducation.wordpress.com. And uh, the seventh demand out of those 12 reads as follows. We demand that no disciplinary action, academic or legal, be taken against the 11 students arrested at Ambassador Oren's event. UCI and the surrounding communities repeated attacks against and hyper-surveillance of Muslim and Arab students aids in branding legitimate political criticisms against the apartheid state of Israel as uncivil and fosters a segregated social and segregated cultural, social, and intellectual climate for the university. Deploying rhetoric that equates anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism serves to annihilate rather than engage in dialogue. So I just encourage everybody to stay informed, keep, keep looking critically at, at the way this is being shaped in the media and the way that people are talking about this. I encourage everybody here who knows better to go educate folks who do not and check out the website democratizeeducation.wordpress.com, democratizeeducation.wordpress.com in case you didn't hear that. And I'm, I'm Russell Curry. If you want to speak more about the issues that I spoke about or, or learn more about the Council for Democratizing Education, as well as Irvine11.com, sign the petition, talk to me afterwards. Thank you. And free Palestine. One more time for Russell. One more time. Good job, Russell. As one of the 17 that were arrested last week, I really, really, really just want to tell you guys that I stand in solidarity with the Irvine 11, and I stand in solidarity against any anti-racist work that's going on on this campus, any anti-Zionist work that's going on on this campus, any, any anti-heteronormativity work that's going on on this campus. I stand in solidarity against all of it. So I just want to make that clear that we're all standing here in solidarity. Our next speaker is Dennis, who is a... Um, who is a wonderful grad student, very loved. He actually has a fan page. Um, <laughs> you guys should check it out. Uh, I love Dennis.com or something like that. But yeah, period. Dennis, Just no for pass. clarification, there is no fan page. I want to thank the uh, Muslim Student Union for giving me a brief five minutes to speak on a cause that's um, very... MSU and BSU for inviting me to speak and everyone else who was involved in uh, organizing this event. Um, 
uh, in solidarity of the actions that have been taking place on our campus and on the campuses across California. I want to start by applauding all of you out here today that have come out to stand in solidarity and to voice your outrage and your discontent. All of you deserve a round of applause for coming out and standing against racism, for coming out and standing against the privatization of our public institutions, for coming out and supporting your students who have taken those difficult first steps to organize and resist on our campuses against the very visible and very brutal attacks of racism. What we're seeing at UC San Diego is a manifestation of a racism that's deep in our society and that exists in our universities very clearly by the ways that admission policies, the ways that uh, financial aid distribution and scholarships, the ways that the hiking of tuitions hurts specifically and in devastating fashion those communities that are most vulnerable, racial minorities and working class communities across the state of California and across this country. The kind of ignorance that we're seeing at UCSD, the kind of racial intolerance is structural. It's, it's a result of the systemic divisions that the system creates, that tries to divide, divide us and conquer us. And we're coming out to today to not only protest the ignorance of those uh, handful of students who have, uh, who have voiced this uh, racial, you know, have acted in discriminatory, discriminatory fashion on the campus, but we're coming out today to voice our resistance to a system that perpetuates and maintains racism and economic divisions. I'm part of the Worker-Student Alliance on this campus. We're an organization that has been working now for over two years on a campaign to insource 155 uh, janitorial workers on our campus that are subcontracted and are themselves the victims of racist super-exploitation. The majority of these workers are Latinos. They, come, they are immigrants. And because of their status as Latinos, as immigrants, they are being targeted for super exploitation on our campus and they're being denied they're being denied the justice they deserve as workers on this campus to get equal benefits, equal pay, and equal protection under the same contract that all the other workers on this campus have. UCI is the last campus of the UC system to subcontract its workers. And for two years it's been refusing to do the right thing and to insource these workers. The, the 17 students and organizers that sat in on the Chancellor's office and were arrested for voicing their, their resistance to, to, this, to this policy of the university continue to stand in solidarity with these workers 
and continue to demand that the university insource the ABM workers and give them the benefits, the pay, and the protection they deserve under the union contract. And I hope all of you will stand in solidarity with these workers and resist the racism and the exploitative practice that we're seeing being used against them. Now, I wanted to make sure that got out because it is one of the demands of the Democratized Education Coalition. It is one of the demands of a number of the student organizations on this campus. But the worker struggle on this campus is part of a larger struggle that we're seeing across the UC system. It's part of the same attacks that's being leveled against students of color, against working class students, and against all students. We are being asked to bail out a system that doesn't provide basic needs for any of us, and that more and more provides less of the basic needs for communities of color and for working class communities across this country. And it is part of the same system that perpetuates violence against working class people across the globe, including in Palestine. It is a system that is rooted in profit making for the few and in the exploitation and oppression of the many. And the front that we are challenging here at UCI is part of the larger front against imperialism, against the genocidal wars for profit, and against the privatizing of more and more of our public institutions to benefit corporate power and corporate profit at the expense of all of us here today. So I want to again applaud all of you for coming out and standing in solidarity with the Irvine 11. Because what they did was they stood up for what was right. They spoke out for what was right. And when our chancellor signs on to a public statement with Mark Udoff and the other chancellors of the other campuses that lump together the racist acts at UCSD and on other campuses with the acts of rightful protest against the abuses of the state of Israel and against of the larger abuses that we see perpetrated by US imperialism and the abuses that we see perpetrated within our borders through the privatizing forces that are affecting our campus, when they stand up and resist those forces, they are on the side of right. And those that are opposing them are on the side of wrong. And it's, in, it's itself an injustice for the Irvine 11, for the 17 students who were arrested on Wednesday, for everyone else who's been protesting across the state of California to be lumped together with the racists who have been perpetrating acts of violence against black students at UCSD. The free speech is a valuable thing, but not all speech is equal. There's right and there's wrong. And those of us that are standing up against imperialism, against the violations of the state of Israel, against the privatizing of our university, against the exploitation of workers, against the, the, the discriminatory admission policies of the UC system, against the raising of, of fees that will more and more leave working class students out of the Cal States and the community colleges, we're on the side of right, we're protesting for what's fair and just, and we will prevail. 
So stand in solidarity, support the Irvine 11, and come out on March 4th. We're playing audio of a March 2nd rally. Uh, the Black Student Union at University of California, Irvine, was very gracious enough to provide this space for the 11 students that were arrested at Ambassador Oren's event and the 17 students that were arrested last week. Uh, I just want to clarify that before we move on, uh, that it's the Black Student Union that's hosting this event and that they're really gracious. Uh, so just give it up for the Black Student Union. You're listening to Subversity here on KCI. Uh, we're going to move into our last speaker uh, for today, uh, who is Jim Lafferty, who is uh, from the National Lawyers Guild. So uh, come on in. At a new time, Subversity, at 5 o'clock, uh, 5 to 6, Mondays. I couldn't be prouder than to be standing here today on behalf of the UCI 11. And I am so proud of the fact that it is lawyers from the National Lawyers Guild that are representing them and they will continue to represent them until they get the justice they really deserve. Now the chancellors and administrators of UCI would have you believe that all this is about is the violation of Mr. Oren's free speech rights. They'd like you to think that's what this is all about. They'd also like you to think it's about academic freedom, but that the only culprits here with respect to academic freedom are, of course, the UCI 11. Let's play their game for a moment. Let's look at the matter of free speech rights for the Israeli ambassador. And let's see if they were violated. But before I do that, first of all, if there's one thing that ought to be clear to everybody, is that the point of view of Israel has no difficulty reaching the people of this country. Just turn on your CNN or Fox News or CBS or ABC or NBC any night and you can hear the point of view of the Israeli ambassador. <laughs> Indeed, every day in this country, virtually every politician in this country panders to the point of view of the Israeli ambassador. So, don't sit up nights though, I would suggest, waiting for CNN or Fox or any of the rest to give you the point of view of the Palestinians who are suffering as we speak in Gaza. And certainly don't hold your breath waiting for this university to return the favor and invite a leader from Hamas to come and speak on this campus. Now that would be a piece of academic freedom I'd love to see. But okay, okay you say, Jim, we're really not talking about the media here, we're talking about what happened here on this campus? All right, fair enough, let's talk about that. First of all, he not only did speak on this campus, he finished his long speech on this campus. In other words, it's not as though he was run off this campus, he was only interrupted in the course of his speech for a couple of minutes. You know, nobody pulled the plug on his microphone. Nobody rang a false alarm for the fire department. Nobody shouted him down so he couldn't complete his speech or make his speech. As they say, two minutes. Nobody forced him back into his chair. Nobody did anything that prevented him from getting his point of view out fully to the students at this university. Now, the dean, the dean has said that, well, there's something called a heckler's veto. And he's right. Dean Chemerinsky is right. There is something called a heckler's veto. But for there to be a heckler's veto, there have to be two things, right? 
First of all, there have to be hecklers. Well, we had those. There was heckling. But there was no veto. Because he got to make his entire speech. As I say, nobody ran him off campus out of the room or prevented him from doing that. So there was no heckler's veto. All right. Now, neither the dean and I, of course, were there. Neither the dean or I were there, but it seems pretty clear to me that, as I say, while there was heckling, there was no veto. All right. So much for the notion that what this is all about, really, is a violation of the First Amendment and the rights of free speech of the Israeli ambassador. Let's move on from that bogus free speech issue and get to the real issue in the case of the UCI 11. And what is that issue? Well, of course, it's the issue that was underlying the reason why the Israeli ambassador was here in the first place and why the Muslim students who went to his speech acted as they did. The issue, of course, is the issue of Israel and what Israel is doing in the world. You see, the Israeli ambassador, as he had every right to do, came to speak on this campus in defense of Israel and its policies in the Middle East and elsewhere. I say he had every right to do it. And the Muslim students, they didn't just sit on their hands while he did that because in their minds, and frankly in the minds of most of the civilized world, most of the civilized world, he was a representative of a nation that is committing and has committed war crimes and gross crimes against humanity. And so they simply could not, and I would argue should not, have sat still in the face of that. Let's think for a moment, let's think for a moment, let's assume for a moment that in fact the ambassador of Iran was invited to speak on this campus. And the Jewish students, and I see some of them here today, went to that meeting and behaved precisely as the Muslim students behaved in the face of the Israeli ambassador. Do you really think the university would have had them arrested? Do you really think the university would be threatening to throw them out of school or suspend them? You know damn well that is not what would happen. In that case, the university would have behaved as it should have behaved in the case of the UCI 11. All right. In short, they came to hear a speech the speech was delivered, and a few people voiced their understandable disgust with what he was saying. So, if it isn't about free speech, as I say, what is it about? All over this country today, in virtually every campus, what is happening at UCI is happening. As criticism of Israel begins to grow and become more vocal on the campuses of this country because of their policies. Because a Zionist himself, Mr. Goldstone, wrote a report for the United Nations saying Israel is guilty of war crimes and crimes against humanity. So the Israeli lobby, defenders of Israel, are doing something which they have a right to do. They're in a panic. The notion that Israel is this wonderful place on earth, this great democracy where human rights are uh, recognized and so forth, is falling by the wayside. Already the rest of the world knows this. So they are fighting back desperately to make sure that there is not, on this campus or any other campus, criticism of Israel. That's why the Zionist Organization of America last week sent a message out saying Jews should stop contributing to this campus. Jewish students should stop coming to this campus which of course is nonsense, and to the credit of a variety of Jewish groups on this campus, they said that's nonsense. 
because they understand that criticism of Israel is not anti-Semitic, it's not anti-Jewish, it's what this university says this is all about, free speech. And so, we have to take our hats off to these students because it isn't easy. It isn't easy to defy what you know is the wishes of your university. Chancellor Drake, you know all of them. They don't want to lose money. They don't want to lose students. They don't want controversy. They don't want to see criticism of Israel on their campuses. And these brave students made sure that a representative of war criminals was not allowed to come to this campus and get away with it. And we should applaud them, we should stand with them, and if we have to at the next time that happens, we should take their place in that auditorium proudly. And if Chancellor Drake and the people that run this university want to maintain it as a university where there is true academic freedom, true freedom of speech for all, then they won't try to hide behind bogus charges of anti-Semitism when somebody criticizes Israel. They won't arrest students who stand up and do what any decent student would do in the face of somebody who is an apologist for torture and war crimes. They will drop the charges. They will ask the, that they not be prosecuted. And they will say once and for all, we don't need a crisis counselor. We don't need to spend more of your money on that. We're going to recommit ourselves, whatever the cost, and however much criticism we may get from the defenders of Israel, we are going to continue to stand tall for academic freedom, for freedom of speech, and we're going to defend, with all that we have, the UCI 11. Thank you so much. The Opinions Express on this show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California. We're stand with the Irvine 11, right? No, We're going to stand with the Irvine 17, right? We're not going to bow down to racist power, right? We're not going to bow down to Zionist power, right? Uh, just want to make sure you guys are with me there. Uh, something that, uh, that came out of UCSD this, uh, this last week when they were uh, protesting the anti-black stuff that was going on down there was this chant. And um, Fanon, Fanon, the vice president of the Black Student Union down there, she, she, she would say this thing, and uh, the, uh, some people might know what the response is. She would say, real pain, and what did they say back? Real pain? Real pain? Real pain? Real pain? Real pain? Let's talk about what that means real quick. What that means is that when a noose is hung, how many guys know what a noose means? The image of a noose. Ritualized murder. Ritualized murder. Lynching. That's what a noose means. So when someone hangs a noose, it's to traumatize, terrorize black students on the UC campus. So when we say real pain, that we feel real pain because we see the image of the noose and we see the ritualized murder, the ritualized torture of black individuals. So that's what our real pain is. What our real action is, is that we're not going to allow that to go down on this campus. When I look at the, when I look at the state of Israel and I, I see the, uh, all the, the human violations that they make, and all the, uh, the murder that goes down on the, on, on, on the part of Israel, and I, and I look at uh, my, Muslim, my Muslim friends, and I, I, I see their pain that they see when they look at Israel, and I understand that pain, and I understand what real action means, that I won't allow, I won't, I won't allow 
my UCI administration to bow down to Zionist power. That's what my real action is. So I say to you guys again, real pain? Real pain? Real pain? Real pain? Yes, come closer. Come in, come in. Let's go. Let's, let's bring it in, guys. Bring it in. Come close to me. Let's go some student energy. Some student energy. Yes, some real pain? Real pain? Real pain? Real pain? Real pain? No justice? No peace! No justice? No peace! No racist? No racist? No sexist? No sexist? No Zionist? No Zionist? No racist? No justice? No justice? This is Angela Davis speaking the day before. First, I would like to thank um, Akira and Kate and Jacob and all the other students who are active in the Gender and Power in Law and Society Reading Group for, for having organized this, this event. And it's really wonderful to see so many of you in attendance. Uh, I wanted to actually begin by acknowledging the campaign against uh, expressions of racism by students uh, currently underway at UC San Diego. All of you are aware of that, of what's going on, right? And I, I mentioned to my class, you'll have to excuse me, I, I came here directly from seminar, so if I get my subjects uh, mixed up. But uh, excuse me, but uh, I pointed out that uh, I read an article in the San Francisco Chronicle yesterday um, describing remarks by Schwarzenegger linking the events at UCSD, the so-called Compton cook Cookout, and the remarks by a student representing the online newspaper Koala. Um, you're, familiar with that, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And then the news uh, with, um, well, you said that there were three examples of bigotry on UC campus, that UC campuses. That was one. The other one was the discovery by a student of a swastika in her bedroom at UC Davis. And the third example of bigotry happened on this campus. Uh, so do you know what it was? Yes, exactly, exactly. The protest on this campus against the uh, um, talk by the Israeli ambassador, that was two weeks ago or so. Now, I just would like you to think about how Schwarzenegger was able to so easily put those three together. 
as examples of bigotry. And I'd like to point out that on the campus at UCSD, uh, it's not just a question of the so-called Compton cookout, but also uh, the population of San Diego is 6% black, but African-American students com comprise only 1.3% of UCSD students. Uh, as the organizers of the campaign there pointed out, it's an ins this institutional attack on African-American students uh, has allowed this climate of racism to develop on campus, and it's that which needs to be challenged. Um, so I want to sort of step back a bit and think about um, the university, think about education. I want to throw out some figures. I don't usually work with figures, uh, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you that there are, I think, about 170,000 people in, um, in prison in the state of California. Some of them are outside of the state of California, but they're California prisoners. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about that later, because uh, California is already shipping prisoners across at least state borders. Uh, and one, approximately 190,000 students attend the University of California. So I want you to think about the fact that the two populations are very similar in magnitude. And you know what, what that might mean. Over the last decade, as uh, Cassandra pointed out, uh, a very important discourse has emerged over um, about the relations between punishment and education. There have been a number of scholars who've written about the school-to-prison pipeline. There are a lot of activist organizations across the country that uh, use the slogan, schools, not uh, jails, education, not incarceration. Um, there, to give you an example of some of the, the scholars, Elizabeth Simmons, uh, who teaches in the, um, is it the criminology department of San Francisco State, or, um, Mm -hmm. She teaches at San Francisco State, and she's uh, written a number of really interesting articles uh, based on her research in, in New Orleans, uh, um, and specifically about the sheriff's school which existed before Katrina, and I, I can't go into detail, but what she discovered was this school for so-called at-risk uh, black males was actually criminalizing the students before they ever even had contact with, the, with law enforcement. So it was enacting the same kinds of disciplinary regimes um, if, uh, as it would enact if the, the, the young men had actually been prisoners. And then Erica Miners is an example of another scholar who uh, writes about the relationship between schools and prisons. She has a very interesting book called The Right to be Hostile, Schools, Prisons, and the Making of Public um, Enemies. Now, I want to say that it's very clear why we tend to focus on elementary school, secondary school, and the trajectory that leads to prison, the school to prison uh, pipeline. It's, 
it's clear why we think of schools as complicit with punishment regimes. But we often posit higher education as the end of a trajectory that excludes people who have been placed on the prison track. And as we, um, as Cassandra said, and I think Elliot uh, uh, talked about this as well, that the educational system itself tends to um, track people either to college or university, or maybe there's a track that leads to jobs, but there are not that many jobs available these days. Uh, then maybe there's another one that leads, I was going to say that leads to uh, the prison, but it, it leads probably either to the military or the prison, because the military, over the last period at least, has become uh, what is recognized as the only viable alternative to imprisonment in poor communities. Now, I want to, I want us to think this afternoon about the university and the prison. Um, and I'd like us to think about the relationship between higher education and the punishment industry. Uh, sort of pulling the university out of its usual position of being um, outside of, uh, 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 of that relationship and the place where the 170,000 people who are in prison, uh, at least some of them might have ended up here if not for all of the criminalization uh, processes. And, you know, I wanted to say one thing, um, Elliot, and I appreciate the fact that you pointed out that uh, in, most, um, in, in, in most states, uh, prisoners tend to come from a few very defined uh, communities and, and neighborhoods. And I think you're absolutely right about the conditions there, but there's one other condition that we need to take into consideration, and that's the surveillance in those communities. Uh, uh, the, there's hyper-surveillance in those communities. And I think about the fact that some of the so-called crimes, and I'm not trying to underestimate the importance of, uh, of people committing acts of harm against others and, or of against their property or whatever. Uh, but what I would say is that in some communities, people are in a position of being able to um, commit those crimes and nobody's watching. And in other communities, you can't, you can't take two steps without uh, being watched. And so one of the reasons for, for this vast racial disparity, and we need to talk about the racial disparity uh, in the prisons, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, we see the exact inverse. And why is it that we see uh, you know, 1.3% of black uh, students at UC San Diego, and uh, I think at Berkeley, it's something like 17% uh, 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 Minorities, that's the category, and I'm not sure what it is here. Um, for African-Americans, it's 2.2. Wow, so I can't, even, I can't believe that Orange County is even better than 10 years ago. <laughs> but, five minutes left. <laughs> I haven't even gotten started. Okay. So, 
what, what, I, what, what I wanted to um, suggest was that we, we, we need to examine the various entanglements of the university with the punishment uh, system. Uh, and I'll just kind of go through these quickly. Um, um, the relationship between punishment and the capitalist market, especially in the aftermath of the deindustrialization of the 1980s and the beginning of the prison expansion leading to the emergence of a prison industrial complex. And the, 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 the similar relationship between education and higher education and the market. The clearest evidence in both of these cases is the drive towards privatization and corporatization. Privatization and corporatization are not always only about the immediate goals of profit, but they're also about establishing corporate culture at the heart of education and at the heart of punishment. And one example of the university at the university level is the increasing reliance of corporate, uh, um, the increasing reliance on corporate executives to rescue universities from financial crisis. I um, speak a lot uh, on university campuses, and recently I you know, get to meet the president, usually, uh, sometimes. <laughs> uh, and I've noticed that many of the presidents are, are now retirees from the corporate world who have been brought in with no academic background, whatever, but who have been brought in uh, uh, to save the university, to rebuild the university. And if we look very specifically at privatization of the UC system, let's remember that uh, Schwarzenegger and um, UC President Dimes back in, back in 2004 signed the Compact on Higher Education, which meant that the university would accept permanent cuts. Dines, who was the president at that time, he didn't last too much longer, uh, agreed that the university would seek out private funding and implicitly that the burden of financing education would be shifted to the students. As a result of that compact, UC is able to raise tuition uh, without any serious discussion. The regions simply have to decide that they want to raise tuition, and you know what you're facing now. And I think it's very important that this gathering here is happening on, 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 on the eve of the March 4th moment. This was uh, actually a talk given by Angela Davis a few a day before the rally on uh, March 2nd talking about the um, talking about solidarity with um, the Irvine 11 and um, this um, this solidarity uh, rally actually evolved into talking about a lot of issues um, including um, Palestine including uh, undocumented workers uh, at UC and other universities who uh, face uh, no jobs after they graduate, even though they were allowed to uh, come into the UCs 
uh, if they had um, if they um, if they had come from uh, high schools, and uh, so th- there's a move actually to legalize their uh, stay in the university uh, in California in the United States. Um, so th- actually, it's a California bill, so it would uh, affect uh, California residents. So this was our, our look back at uh, some of the events in the last month when um, about altogether uh, 28 people were arrested in several events on campus, uh, once for speaking out and shouting down the speech of uh, Israeli Ambassador Michael Oren, and later um, the 17 students that were arrested for chanting outside, actually, Chancellor Drake's office in the hallway uh, behind his office. And uh, the police moved in after several hours of chanting uh, and arrested them. Uh, And as Angela Davis pointed out in this talk uh, a week later uh, on the vision, her vision of a university, she said in 1970, when she was a graduate student at UC San San Diego, um, people did lots of things similar to what happened at UC Irvine, and nobody was arrested. So in many ways, 1970 was better than 19 or 2010. Uh, Have we regressed? Why did these students have to be arrested? Free speech, sit-ins, sit-ins are free speech. Why did they have to be arrested? So it'll be interesting to see if the university or the DA actually uh, goes ahead with charging anybody. Uh, John Bruning, who was a graduate student who was uh, earlier arrested last fall, uh, the DA never uh, issued any prosecution. Um, and so it might be interesting to see what happens with these other cases, whether the DA will go ahead with prosecuting these uh, individuals. Uh, in the case of the Urban 11, several of the students were actually from Riverside, UC Riverside. So it's actually the Irvine and Riverside 11. So that was the month of turmoil at UC Irvine, culminating in the March 4th rally across the state and in the country, uh, which we aired um, at another show, on another show previously. So you're listening to Subversity here on the, its new time at 5 o'clock on Mondays, and we will sign off now and hope you stay tuned and to KUCI here on the show uh, and in future shows, on future shows, listen to us on future shows. This is Dan Zhang signing off for Subversity. The opinions expressed on the show were not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California nor the management of KUCI. Thanks for listening.